Welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, Doc, here we are out on the patio again, and Mm -hmm. in our last conversation, we were talking about the bi-directional reciprocal connections between the autonomic nervous system and mental health and mental health disorders, particularly the four horsemen of mental health disorders in America, which are anxiety, depression, PTSD, and substance abuse. And you were talking about answer autonomic nervous system regulation as a way to influence and impact mental health, which brings us to the issue of treatment Yeah, and how people can get treatment. You know, initially, of course, the presenting issue is usually the downstream behavior. I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm mm-hmm. whatever, substance abuse. And then, of course, the upstream interventions, ANSR, these kinds of things. But the average person listening has a problem right? Anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and they want to get help. And that means they have to navigate the system and not the autonomic nervous system. I mean, ultimately they have to. Exactly. But in order to get to that, they have to navigate the system, the system Mm -hmm. of uh, doctors and counselors and hospitals and treatment centers and insurance and all of the things that are this giant complex of things you have to navigate, right, to get yeah. help. And that's overwhelming for people. And it and it's also a moving target. I mean, the goalposts are always shifting because insurance companies, technology, managed care, it's constantly changing. And you've seen all sides of this. You've seen it as a doctor. You've seen it as a clinician in private practice, working in hospitals. You've had your own entrepreneurial companies like Inner Armor that treat this. So you've been dealing with this from all angles, and you've seen patients have to deal with this. So that's what this conversation is going to be about, trying to give people some coaching, some advice about how to navigate the system. Yeah, and I think a a good place to start is we all know if you've listened to a couple of the episodes leading up to this is we have this mental health tsunami on our hands where the waves are coming in and they're so tall that there's no way to stop them from consuming us. And one out of five people now have a clinical mental health disorder. And 75% of those, by the time they're 24, will have already experienced that. So there's things going on in early development that's, you know, impacting that we need to be aware of. And we talked before about the things that that can drive that like you know well what's at the foundation of this right and you know i'm very mathematical you know me i'm very like the subjective stuff i like to push to the side and very concrete objective and when i look at a problem like this that's involving these exponential increases a 40 percent increase over in 20 years yeah in 20 years i mean that's that's a that's an epidemic right yeah. so i look at that and i say well what are the causal agents and we've looked at what are some of those those cracks those rifts in the floor of the the seabed that's causing the tsunami to happen but we also i think it's very important and not to be critical 
on this, but we need to look at this concretely. How have we been responding to when these things happen? So, so what's happening, in a sense, as the tsunami is rising and how we're, we're defending ourselves against the tsunami can also have a huge impact on why these numbers are increasing. We have innovation in every sphere of what we do in cars, in technology, in our communication, in, you know, even how we do financial stuff with Bitcoin, you know, all these different things that like there's innovation, there's changes that are happening. When it comes to this mental health thing where we should be focusing, there's no innovation. We're doing the same thing that we've been doing for 60 years. And there's got to be another way to address that. And so today is instead of looking at the cracks, like what's led to this, these breakdowns in this and problems with getting outside and nutrition and all those things, yes, but also is our response to that. And as we look at that, we have to look at the behavioral health model and realize it doesn't really mirror what's going on on the medical health system. Behavioral health is extremely, what I'm going to say, horizontal, is you go downstream and you have this behavioral or emotional problem and you stay downstream. Like you don't go upstream to actually correct this with autonomic nervous system regulation, or we've also referred to this as priming the system, getting the system prepared upstream so that it can manage these things. And that's what we're going to talk about today is this horizontal system that isn't triaged or layered to allow us to go upstream to actually make permanent change. And we alluded to this in the last episode as we talked about the four horsemen, about how these things actually start upstream. But all we're trying to do is we're like down at the bottom with our umbrellas, you know, trying to stop the tsunami with these things. And these umbrellas aren't working. So like so much else in life or in this world, it's a lot of this is driven by, you know, money. It's mm -hmm. driven by scarcity of resources. So the statistics are kind of at our hand because we've been working on this new book. 58 million adults in America have, at, at the moment, have some kind of clinical mental health disorder and almost a similar number of kids. So you're talking about somewhere about 100 million individuals in America are struggling with some level of mental yes. health disorder. Yeah. So when we talk about scarcity of resources, what does it take to treat all of them? And the system, uh, because of scarcity of resources, obviously has adapted. So a couple of things that I found interesting in researching this. Back in around 2008, I think it was, I think it was part of the, the health care acts of around that time, they passed an act, the Mental Health Parity Act. Mm -hmm. And the theory was when they, they passed all the health care stuff back then under Obamacare. The, the thing was insurance companies had to treat mental health disorders equally with physical health disorders. The problem is, is there's not enough psychologists. So when right. we did research into this, we found out there's only like about 100,000 licensed psychologists in the United States. And a lot of them are nearing retirement age. So the system, insurance companies, had to do something, and they don't have enough psychologists, so what they did was deployed more counselors. Mm -hmm. And that gets into this distinction between psychologists and counselors. 
So counselors are problem specific. So you have a marriage and family counselor. You have a substance abuse counselor. You have a, what, a budget counselor. Mm -hmm. You have a, you know, whatever, right? Grief counselor. And they're there to help you solve a specific problem, right? So they've got experience and coaching and protocols and, and say, okay, if you're dealing with this, then here's two or three things. And, and I'm just trying to get you through this problem mm-hmm. that I'm specifically focused on. What we found is that there's about 750,000 counselors in America. So seven or eight times more than there are psychologists. Okay. Now, psychologists are a whole different thing because they're not just trying to help you solve the specific problem at hand. They're trying to help you, like, look at that systemically. Now, you are a psychologist, a neuropsychologist. Talk about what the difference is in a sort of psychological therapy approach that's distinct from just a sort of seeing a a problem-specific counselor. Yeah, I think definitely both have their positive components to that. But even in psychology, there is a really small percentage that are bringing in the learned responses in the autonomic nervous system, more the physiological and neurological, because that's not what we're trained in, right? Most of my training, even as a neuropsychologist, which is a specialty component of psychology, does not include a lot of the things that I've had to learn over the last 30 years about, you know, why is this kid doing this? (laughs) Why is this adult having problems with their sleep. Yes, there's the psychological component, but it's married with the physiological. That's It's actually downstream from the physiological and the neurological. What are the learned patterns that happen in the brain that have to be unlearned? And so there is a very, 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 very small percentage of professionals that even have the training across the psychological but also the physiological, neurological, to actually address this autonomic nervous system regulation. And then on the physician side, they might know a little bit more about the autonomic nervous system, but the combination between the autonomic nervous system and the behavioral, they're completely having to handle all of these things because there's not enough psychiatrists around. You talk about the number of psychologists Let's get into like psychiatrists. I think it's like there's like 25,000 in America or something <laughs> I mean, like that. Yeah. I, look, I remember looking up those stats. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, I think a psychiatrist should have to be seeing something like 5,000 yeah. patients to yeah. be able to manage it correctly. And then what happens is the load, somebody's got to do it. So what ends up happening is the primary care physician, the physician assistant, the nurse practitioner, they're dealing with all these people with the psychological issues that maybe want medicine or need to get this thing diagnosed correctly. That's a big part of our discussion. It's like we're missing out on like, before we start on our journey, we need to figure out where we are. So there's no diagnostic expertise there apart from just looking at behavioral responses. So we're like using people that really don't know how to swim to manage the tsunami, you know? Right. So from a supply and demand standpoint, sort of scarcity of resources, if we say there's 100,000, I mean, I'm ballparking, but I remember looking these things up about a month ago when we were researching the book. But let's say there's 100,000 psychologists in America and 25,000 psychiatrists, you know, whatever. 
let's say there's 125, 150,000 people. And of those, let's say only, let's say of those, only half of them, let's be generous. And let's say only half of them have the specific training to do the things we're talking about. So now you're going, okay, there's like 60,000 people in America and there's 60 million adults. Yeah. Right? So, so therefore the system, like getting at those people is really tough. Right. Like, you know, we, we talk, you know, all the work you do in pro football, right. Or pro basketball, like that's the end zone. That's the, the hoop. And you got to get, you know, you got to march a hundred yards upfield against the defense to get into the end zone. Right. So bringing this down to the practical level, somebody who's listening says, I, I or a family member, or my child or whatever, having these problems, how do I get into the end zone and get to the guy or man or woman or whatever? How do I get to the professional who can help me? Well, I have to, I have to march a hundred yards up the field against the defense. Right. And you're going to start probably one of two places. Either your insurance through your work or something is going to say we have through human resources, like some kind of mental health resources. Here's a phone number or a website, and you can do a chat or you can write, and that's going to be your first entry point. It's one of two entry points there. So you're going to go, okay, well, my insurance card or HR department says call this number if you're feeling sad or suicidal, if your kid is having problems. And what are you going to get when you call that number? You'll probably get some type of intake uh, assessment process when you go in that's going to be more of a checklist of things. You know, you might even be doing that out in the waiting room, going through your checklist of behaviors. These are all downstream behavioral things. There can be a thousand reasons why you're having an attention problem behavior or a focusing problem or an, uh, a panic attack. And so there's going to be some of that. But then once you get that, you're going to be just quickly put into a therapy situation. Will it be therapy or counseling? Like problem it'll, probably, specific- it'll probably be counseling. You know, it's probably because most practices are made up of different levels of things and there's not usually that that sophisticated of a triage process, which there should be, because that doesn't happen in medicine. Not everybody goes to orthopedic surgeon. So, but it's just going to be kind of like whose caseload is full, who's available, who's going to, you know, there might be some specialty, like I, I like working with kids versus I like working with older adults, or maybe have some training in those. But it's going to be a very uh, subjective kind of thing and really a needs-based, like is there, is there availability? <laughs> You know, when, when, when we were researching the book, one of the things I found was that in the, in the UK, British healthcare system now is deploying an, an AI a chatbot <laughs> to do that. So yeah. if you're like, man, are you feeling suicidal or is your kid struggling or are you, you know, feeling anxious, you know, then you interact with this AI chatbot that says, hello, Greg, are you feeling sad today? Yeah. Yes, I am feeling sad. Bob, and then the AI chatbot Bob or whatever walks you through all of those intake questions because it's algorithms, and it's not clear where you get to at the other end. But I'm assuming that if you navigate the chatbot, there's like a you know pot of gold in the rainbow. You might get to talk to a human being, right? Yeah, and that human being just because somebody's called a counselor, they're called a social worker, they're called a psychologist, it's just a human being, and they different at different levels of training different levels of expertise 
efficacy like some have been very successful with people some find it very hard to keep their caseload full because they're not very good with people so it's not we want it to be this is and this is what's really frustrating we we need to start asking like why or what is going on here like when somebody says oh you're going to go get counseling that that's the same as like oh you're going to take amoxicillin for this like it's or, a fix yeah like here's this fix will do this to you right or this surgery will take care of that ACL problem. Like we don't give somebody like heart surgery for an ACL and a knee issue, right? Like we diagnose it and that's where we're really missing on this whole thing is there's this whole diagnostic system that does not exist that's looking upstream. It's only looking at behaviors. Even the DSM, which is the manual for these things, is just looking at behaviors, right? So we say the solution for depression anxiety is uh, counseling and therapy and medicine what the heck are you talking what are those things what do you mean like if there's eight doors in front of me and there's a therapist in each door it's kind of like me taking a blank piece of paper and there's markers or crayons in each room i'm going to come out with a different picture because every room's kind of drawing it a little bit different. They all might have the same objective as I want my patient to feel better, but their way that they're doing that, how successful is that? I don't know. And it's like a random dart game. Like, okay, I ended up with this guy and that really didn't go very well. well or I ended up with this one and it did go sort of well, but I don't really know what we're doing. Cause now I'm like, he says I have two sessions left because my managed care system says I have two sessions left. And I don't even know what we've been doing for the last six sessions. Right. Well, yeah. and, and increasingly in managed care, these are now telehealth appointments. So it's basically a Zoom session. And increasingly, because there's just not enough people to go around, enough counselors or whatever. So, and I know you're big on interpersonal interaction, sitting across the table yeah. with somebody. But now what I'm going to get is you get a, what, 30-minute Zoom call with a counselor who might be a 1,000 miles away. And, and then they've got another zoom call after that and after that and after that so so that's sort of like this one path okay you're having a problem your family member is having a problem child is struggling whatever you pick up the human resources card or paper through your work and it says call this number and that's our mental health resource the other one is you go into your primary care physician so you walk in and here's your primary care physician who's very nice and very friendly Here's Dave or Susie, your primary care physician, and you get your appointment and you come in and you say, I or my child is feeling XYZ yeah. or having XYZ behaviors. Now, talk about how that appointment is going to go, because I, I know you know how that goes. Walk us through that scenario. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, the physician, PA, nurse practitioner, they're overworked. And so, and they are on a, they are going to get docked if they don't get you in and out of there in a certain amount of time. How That's, much time is that on average? It can, it can vary, but it's many times can be about 15 minutes. Okay. So we're going to now talk about a very complex upstream neurological autonomic nervous system problem. And we're never going to look at it. <laughs> we're just going to, we're never even going to look at the brain, look at what the body's doing. We're just going to ask different questions. And through no fault of that 
physician. No. I know your son is a is a primary care physician. And my daughter's a PA. Yeah. And yeah. and so it's no throughout these people. I mean, I have a good friend who's one and but they've got bosses and they've got rules. And so of that fifteen minutes maybe, there's the first two or three minutes of hi, my name is Doctor So and so and you know, blah blah blah. And there's gonna be last minute or two. So really you're gonna have about ten to twelve minutes to address this. And in ten to twelve minutes they've got to make this significant diagnosis about something that requires, in many cases, many diverse ways of assessing what's going on with the system. Not just, I can't just answer questions way downstream on behaviors and think I know exactly what the brain's doing. And so somebody could get started, this happens all the time, in 10, 15 minutes based on some questions, they're now going to get put on a, a medicine that's a controlled substance Okay, this isn't just like open-ended, like you can only have so many days of this substance that's going to alter the activity of the brain to the point that I'll hear parents say, overnight he was better, or overnight he became a monster, right? And it's like anything, even if it's on the good side, okay, anything that adjusts your neurological system that overnight this happens to your attention or your focus, you need to be asking a question like, what is going on? Like, there's you, your brain can't just change like that without there impacting other aspects of the body. But these very strong chemicals, a lot of times, are going to get prescribed because the doc knows it's going to take forever to get this person into psychiatry. So okay. the two options that doc has, that primary care physician has, is either I can write you a script today, in which case then I can move on to the next 15-minute problem in my right. day next patient or i can try to do a referral but then now talk to me about that because they they're under managed care and insurance they've got to sort of justify the referral right big talk time about that. big time because managed care is expecting them with because there's such a massive anxiety and depression they're expecting them to like you should be able to treat this but what is their level of training in treating this and diagnosing it well it's not there because even the psychiatrist is going to be using different behavior checklists, different behavioral questions. They're not trained in neuropsych testing. Like, they're not trained in how to look at an EEG or how to look at heart rate variability or how to look at these different things that are autonomic nervous system things upstream that are causing these problems. So, the physician is in the worst spot of this whole situation because it's either I do something or nothing's probably going to happen right. for this kid. Because if, if, if you do make the referral, they have to not only justify it to the insurance company, but you also know that to get into that psychiatrist or whatever, it's going to be a six to eight week, right? I'm going to give you the referral. You're going to call their office. They're going to say, Dr. So-and-so can see you in nine weeks. No, well, it could be six months. Or six months. And so, in the and mean- that's going to be another 15 15- Minute appointment right. because the psychiatrists are so overworked right. because they're seeing anybody and everybody. They don't have time and they're also not doing that type of testing. So they're trying to do just a little bit more advanced behavioral analysis. Of and it. in the meantime, my son or my daughter is punching holes in the wall yeah. or freaking out or, you know, failing at school or gosh knows what else. And you go, well, I can give you this referral and maybe by the end of the year, you'll get in to see somebody who will figure out maybe whatever. Or 
I can write you a script today that will, and you can go get it filled at the Walgreens this afternoon. And the kid takes the pills. And like you say, you'll see an instant or nearly instant change in behavior. Yeah, but you don't know that could be negative, positive. You're, you haven't measured the autonomic nervous system. But it's system. something. It's, and it's so, something. So all of the incentives, all of the, the gravity, you think, water flowing downhill, it's all leading the system to that, right? Right. And there's, think of every other thing that that doc is working with, the stuff that they're so good at doing, right? right? Like the cholesterol issues, the blood pressure issues, the just all these different physiological things. What are they doing when they when they prescribe those medicines is they're looking at labs right oh let, let's get let's get a blood panel here oh you need something for your cholesterol right because i can see it here and let's go ahead and remeasure that in uh, a few weeks after you've taken this medicine now there might be some other ways to address the cholesterol but but they're dealing with a concrete number right look at your blood pressure oh my goodness we have to do something about your blood pressure a concrete number so then i'm going to do this and that may not always be there might be other things a person could do diet even things related to heart rate variability and breathing that could affect their blood pressure but still the physician what they're doing in that situation is another whole system that's very quantifiable like i don't go in and complain about maybe some pain in my chest and i all of a sudden get heart surgery like, I need it. The doctor wants an echo. They want an EKG. They want some blood work. Okay. Now we need to send you on upstream or to the uh, cardiologist, right? And then the cardiologist says, I need to send you to the cardiac surgeon. Because so there's this triaging that's all data based. We, we would love, there's kind of like this, you know, imaginary thing that behavioral and mental health right. works the same way. It's not even close. Right, because that's in contrast. If I come in and I say, Doc, I was out playing on the church softball league the other night and I torqued my knee. Yeah. And he can look at my knee or whatever. Versus my son, little Johnny doesn't play well with others. What the heck does that mean? <laughs> right, you know, yeah. he, you know he, he runs with scissors, you know, I mean, what, right? So, like, how, how is that doc supposed to quantify that, measure that? And if he's if he's reading the DSM, which he might not be, but right. he'll get just as many vague things like child acts as if they're driven by a motor. Right. What the heck? Yeah. How do you measure measure right. that? That's not even measurable. You know. So it's like this. Meanwhile, this, the clock on my fifteen minutes is running. Yeah. So so the doc, who's a good person, does what they do because they want to they want to help people. But they're, they're working within a system, and so the incentives are all write the script. And, and not to be, like, conspiracy-minded, right? But, like, if I wanted to be conspiracy-minded and think about, <laughs> you know, the system with a capital S, it sure is incentivized towards giving people pills. Yeah. Right? And the money all runs towards giving people pills. And maybe when this, this whole thing really started, which was the late 80s, where we finally got some meds that didn't have these massive side effects that we felt like, okay, maybe a primary doc can do that. And then in the early 90s, when all of a sudden drug companies were allowed to advertise to the population, that doesn't that isn't allowed in other countries, right? So now every person walks in and says, even if the physician doesn't want to do it, hey, you got I got to start on this Prozac, right? So 
if, we might have a better argument for this, if when these medicines really hit the market in the late 80s and early 90s, we actually saw a downturn in anxiety and depression, what has gone up with the level of anxiety and depression, what runs right along with that? The use of psychotropic meds. Yeah. We're using them more than ever, 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 that we've ever used them, and we have the greatest level of anxiety and depression. Let's just please step back, use a little bit of a mathematical mind here and say, if that was really working, is that what right. I would see on the radar? Now, as we always say, correlation doesn't prove causation, but right, like it's there's a lot of clues here because what we're looking at is not only has it not fixed the problem during the period when we're using these or psychotropic medicines been deployed in massive quantities by primary care physicians because we talk about that in the book something like 75% of psychotropic meds are deployed by PCPs primary care physicians and and during that period not only has it not gone down it's gone up by 40% the mm. you know the, yeah, problem the problem we're trying to solve so so something is really really whacked here so what, what would happen if we had this rise in cardiovascular disease and somebody said, this surgery will fix this cardiovascular disease? 20 years later, the cardiovascular disease, this particular one, has gotten 40% worse. And this thing is being done 40% more than it's ever been done, this surgery. There's no insurance company on the planet that would cover that procedure. It just wouldn't, right? But there's something else at play here with these meds. These physicians are putting in very difficult situations is they're trying to help and they have two horizontal platforms to work with, counseling and meds that are working on a downstream behavior and nobody's going upstream to fix the autonomic nervous system. And it's very interesting. We have a project that we're doing through Inner Armor where there's 400 people that we need to address, okay? And this organization looked at the 400 people and they needed to do something to build resilience and decrease anxiety and depression in this group of 400 people, okay? And so as they looked at it, or we started looking at it, and looking at these horizontal options of psychiatry and behavioral options and they looked at that and we said if we were to provide 26 hours of therapy so a therapy session every other week for these people okay it would require us to hire eight full-time counselors psychologists the overall price tag for this entire project to increase both psychiatric and behavioral health was, would be over a million dollars to get 26 hours of these interventions, which no insurance company would ever cover 26 hours. They cover six to eight hours, right? So then we come in with the inner armor model, which works upstream during doing forms of uh, biofeedback, autonomic nervous system regulation, priming, and giving them an environment where they work 10 minutes three times a week through a kiosk that are giving them information about their brain and body back to them. The 
price point to provide 26 hours of this is below $100,000, okay? But it's creating resiliency across the whole platform. If we try to address the model in behavioral health with the models that we have on the horizontal platform of behavioral and psychiatry, and we said, okay, we're really going to deploy these resources, our system would be bankrupt. There's no way you could bring on that many psychologists, that many therapists, that many psychiatrists, and is even that going to fix the problem? And we have to just take a hard look at these numbers and say, we, even just from a financial perspective, right. we have to look through a different lens on this. Can I work upstream and can I teach every first grader in the United States how to start regulating their autonomic nervous system? What's the ripple effect of anxiety and depression, PTSD, substance abuse. The ripple effect is we're going to change the trajectory of this. We're going to change the amount of people that are standing in line. So as you look, as, w- as we would look at like the scenarios of like the possibilities for the future, right? You know, you can go, okay, well, in some ideal, fanciful future that never happens, there's 20 million yeah. well-trained neuropsychologists that are sitting around waiting for people to come into their office and get hundreds of hours of, you know, access or something like that. That's never going to happen. No, ever. So you're, you're driven to the other pot thing, which is, well, you're going to end up with AI counseling or pills. Right. Right, because that's the only thing that the system really can afford to do, given the scale of this problem. When you're talking about what are you going to do when half of America is suffering from a mental health disorder, which is what we're talking about. You know, when you talk about three hundred, we 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 talk about these percentages all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, what percentage of Americans this, percentage of Americans that. There's three hundred thirty million people approximately in America. One percent, every one percent is three point three million. So when you start talking about the difference between 45 to 46, another 3 million, another 3 million, another 3 million. Uh, If you take the population of the 10 most populous states in America, that's how many people are suffering from mental disorders. So there's no way that all these people are going to get into, see someone like yourself. There's not enough of you to go around. So the system is going to push them into pills or telehealth AI chatbot counseling. That's really all they can do. Which is all downstream. It's all downstream. So really, we need a new system. We need to innovate something. We're going to talk about that in our next conversation, in the next episode. But before we do, I want to give you the last segment here. And I want you to speak from your heart to the person who's listening out here where they're struggling with a mental health disorder, one of their loved ones is struggling with mental health disorder, they're discouraged, they don't know how to navigate this system. What advice can you give them to kind of close this this episode? Yeah, the first thing, and it is on a macro scale, a major problem with all this is you need to get this assessed correctly. If that takes two hours, if it takes four hours, if it takes an hour, whatever, you need more advanced kind of localization of where you are on the map. You need a GPS coordinate for where am I? Okay, you're trying to get to Chicago, but we have no idea where in the United States you are. You know, are you down in Miami? 
or are you in Naperville? I don't know, right? And no, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I'll have people, like, bring their kid to me, you know, or I'll, I'll be doing a lecture, and they'll bring them up after the lecture and say, what do you think? Do you think Johnny has ADHD? And I'll, you know, 25 years ago, I'd, I'd kind of look, scratch my chin. Yes, Johnny has ADHD. Now I look at them and I say, Johnny, I mean, he could be bouncing all over the place. He could be, you know, I ask him a few things and he can't remember where he said. I say to them, I have no idea what Johnny has. Well, can't you see? Look at him. I'm like, no, I can't see because I'm not looking at his brain. I'm just looking at behaviors, right? Like his underwear could be too tight. I don't know. You know, why is he restless? Not too sure, right? So we, I'm going to encourage people out there is before you do anything, figure out where you or your loved one is on the map. And that requires some more sophisticated testing than just answering a bunch of behaviors, right? That, that's like a level one. We need to get level five where we're, you know, going beyond, you know, just behaviors. We're looking at computerized testing. We're looking at scans of the brain. We're looking at, you know, what the heart's doing, what the breathing's doing, all these upstream things. So that's number one. And then two is, how do I start to build their autonomic nervous system? Don't get too distracted by the distraction, okay? You see the distraction, and we get so distracted by that, we have to be like, no, 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 no. Where is that coming from? Don't get too distracted by the anxiety, okay? It's, we want it to go away. We want the depression to go away. We want the substance abuse to go away. We want the PTSD to be resolved. But I can't just look there downstream, right? I need to look way upstream and see where did this all start? Because if I don't fix it upstream, it's just going to come out of something else, right? It's going to be something else in five years. So we have to go upstream and be creating a model to look at upstream. Okay, but for that listener now who's, who's sold, who's real impressed by what you just said, they've got two things. In one hand, they've got the thing from their, their employer's HR department that says, here's the phone number or the website to go for mental health resources, and they've got their primary care physician. How do they get at, we've talked about the difficulty of getting at what you are prescribing through those routes. Who should they call? Well, they're probably not going to get that through that route, those routes right. because those routes are going in a completely different direction. Right. They have no idea where you are on the map. They never will right. when you're going through treatment. And they're providing you probably the wrong thing in many cases. So, sometimes it's good. So what, so what do they do? So what they should do is they would come, they would go to the Royer Neuroscience website. We would look at doing an evaluation any place in the world that you are. We can send the tools that we need to measure the autonomic nervous system to your home and through Zoom and through a variety of other things we can assess. Or they can go to Forge Your Inner Armor to ForgeInnerArmor.com to get some more information. But you really need to understand while there's a maybe well-meaning system in place, it's extremely broken. There are parts of it that do work, but those are very small and it's not solving the bigger problem. And you need to figure out what truly is going on so you know how to get from point A to point B. Okay. So go to, what are the websites again? Dot com and forgeinnerarmor.com. Yeah. And at both those, we, it'd be a starting place to, yeah. to see where we can go from there. So, and, you know, blessings on you out there if you're struggling with yes, us. Yes, definitely. You know, and prayers as you try to navigate the system. Amen. Amen. 
This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.